here in the desert in Ethiopia. Um, there is a geocache there. Um, I know you've probably been there several times before and never knew there was a geocache. Well, now you know next time you go. Um, this is on the Urta Ale Mountain. Or Urta Ale, which is translated either as the Fuming or Devil's Mountain, which is an active volcano, which is in the middle of the Danka Kill, Danka Kael Desert uh, near Rift Valley. Um, and so you get to Urta Ale, it's Dana Kill, Dana Kill Depression, which is generally considered to be one of the most inhospitable regions on Earth. A valley floor that's 130 meters below sea level. Um, the temperatures are about 130 degrees um, Fahrenheit in the shade. So, you know, dress lightly, light jacket probably, probably no hat. Um, and you, the lava lake is permanently stirred by fountains of lava. Um, and it's basically just extremely hot. And you have to wear all the surface gear just to get to the place itself, and within um, the, there's a lava tunnel, that, tunnel there near the pit crater uh, covered with pieces of broken lava tunnel ceiling. So, so once you get into the lava tunnel, you might want to look around, and then, and then you can find the geocache here. Um, there's water in it, a shovel, a large plastic tarp, and several small items useful in a desert camp. It's kind of interesting. It's like an extreme geocache that has really useful stuff in it, you know, because by the time you get there, you're probably not thinking, oh, cool, what what sort of interesting geocache toy could I find? You're probably thinking, you know, I'd really like some water. Anyway, next time you're there, just check this geocache out. And so geocaching scripture, here we are, geocaching. Sorry, I've been away for two weeks because right now life is very very strange um i don't know if any of you have heard but there is a virus going around and we all are under quarantine uh, my kids are constantly in the house so it's kind of hard for me to even make it into the in the blanket fort in the closet right now i'm recording in a blanket um in my car so welcome to the car blanket fort this is geocaching scripture let's do this thing <laughs> places that Jesus went. And this is kind of a, an odder one, um, and it's it's a little bit like a place, and so we did Caesarea Philippi, um, and we did other places that Jesus has been, and this is kind of a place, um, and not a particularly odd place, but anyway, I'll just read it. Mark 13. I'm going to skip around a little bit. Um, at the beginning of Mark 13, Jesus, they, they're walking out into the temple, and they say, Jesus, isn't this an amazing temple? And he says, I tell you, one stone will not be left on the other when this temple is destroyed. Um, and then we'll pick up in the verses. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where there ought not to be one, 
let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down, nor enter his house and take anything out. But let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. But in those days and in that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And they will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Mark 13. So this is this is one of those passages um, that often gets um, sort of directly translated into the apocalypse and into the second coming of Christ, and it's a lot of things. I mean, I grew up hearing things like, um, you know, this is just the beginning of birth pangs, when you hear wars and rumors of wars and all these things. And it's applied to the second coming of Christ, and... Um, that is actually an inaccurate reading of this. Um, this actually applies more specifically to the destruction of the Jewish temple in AD 70, and that's the destruction of the Jewish temple by Rome, not the end of the world. Um, Jesus is not talking about that. And it's often called Mark's Little Apocalypse. Um, and what it does is, in a sense, it talks about more specifically about the temple, and the destruction of the temple in AD 70, not long after Jesus' life. And then it sort of sidelights when Jesus will come back, um, the return of Christ. Um, but the main thing to keep in mind here is it's writing in the sense of, an, in the version and genre of what's called the apocalyptic. The apocalyptic. So you've got the moon will not give its light, light, the sun will be quenched, all these other things. These are not literal things. These are not literal things you should be looking for, like go outside one day and say, Oh man, the moon isn't here. Crap, here we are. This thing is going to be terrible. Um, it's not what's going on, you know. That's not what we're under in this case. Um, and that's not how apocalyptic works. Apocalyptic essentially describes the feelings of a situation, not the events. And I'm sorry for all of, all of us who like to watch these signs and wait for these things. What it's describing is a feeling. It feels like the world is ending. It feels like the sun is going out. It feels like the moon is dark, like there is no light. And if you know any of the descriptions of the destruction of the temple, that is what it was like for those people who were there. Um, horrible things, horrible, inhuman things that were going on. And they talk about piles of bodies on the altar and blood trickling down the altar like a like a creek, like a current, and bodies sliding down this river of blood. It's just brutal, absolutely brutal. And so Jesus, probably 30 or 40 years before the actual event, is describing it in the language of the apocalyptic, which is language that is used to describe feelings and the way things think that we think are going to happen. Um, so that is what St. John picks up in the book of Revelation. So he talks about all these bizarre things, these beasts and, you know, the seven bowls and all these grotesque pictures of talking horns and dragons and all this other stuff, when really it is more symbolic, it is more used to talk about 
uh, different kingdoms that are imploding and falling apart and all sorts of things like that. And in a sense, like using an eagle for America, a bear for Russia, all these other things. Um, those are those are those symbols that are used. So looking in the sky to say, okay, well, you know, in three weeks' time, uh, these huge scorpion things are going to fly around and poke people, and they're going to be like um, hurt or dead or whatever, and all these other things. Or even to say, you know, oh, St. John looked into the future and he saw Apache helicopters, and they all looked like these beasts that fly through the air with the head of a lion. Not, eh, not really. Um, he was much more talking about John specifically in, in a lot of those images was talking about Rome, what was going on at the time, talking about the first coming of the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, which is us, which is the kingdom which outlasted Rome. Rome fell in front of it because the church is still here and the church is still together. And he was sidelighting what is going to happen in the end. But there is there is no way we can be near definite enough. I am so sorry to Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Um, I'm sure they're quarantined in their fourth or fifth house out on their yacht, maybe. Anyway, I really feel for you guys. Um, but you were totally off in your hermeneutic of reading Revelation. Um and that is unfortunate, although you did sell a lot of books, so that's good for you, I guess. Um, but but again, the apocalyptic, and here Jesus is using, talking about the, the temple itself, um, and he's he's sidelighting to the second coming, and then and St. John picks it up later and goes into more of this, the second coming. And again, all these images are used as metaphors to talk about things going on at the time, to talk about people at the time, um, and to sidelight into the future, but not in a way that we can, you know, have Kirk Cameron do his thing in it, um, and all that. So, apocalyptic is on all our minds right now. Um, everything is very topsy-turvy in the world, said the man talking under a blanket. In his car and um, it feels like the world is falling apart in a way that there are cracks in the foundations of our institutions that we trust so much the government um, Wall Street other things that um, we think of as foundational and in a way uh, Jesus gets what it's like from our angle. Um, seeing as he, he did maybe into the future or however it was, the temple falling apart and, and all these things that feel like the sun is falling out of the sky. And uh, he sees it from our angle. He's been here. He knows what that looks like. When the institutions are imploding, and that's one of the images there, Jesus says, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. Um, that is verse 26. Again, that Son of Man image is uh, a few episodes ago, and I know you've listened to every geocaching episode and written down a bunch of notes. So just look back in your notes. Uh, but if you haven't, anyway, Son of Man is a character described in Daniel, and Jesus took the name on for himself, and it's this apocalyptic character who is there who comes down from God and redeems the earth, takes a takes a seat at the right hand of God. 
And here he says the Son of Man will come in power. And what that means is that the Son of Man will be instituted in power because the old way fell. The temple fell apart. And on that day, it felt like the moon was falling out of the sky. And the Son of Man is coming in power and glory, meaning he is being enthroned because the temple is no longer needed. Because Jesus is now Lord of the kingdom. And all kingdoms are beneath his feet. So he knows what it's like to see that destruction and what's going to happen on our level. And he also is the Lord over all those kingdoms. And every time a kingdom falls, he's enthroned again. And right now, when we're feeling the weakness of some of our institutions, we need to hold on to the strength of our Lord. And realize that the world is only temporary. And the world is going to fall away, and that it won't last forever. But that the Lord is Lord over all of it. That that That... Jesus came to say to us that the human project is worth saving, and I'm going to save it from within. At the flood, God said, I'm going to wipe all this out and start over again. We'll have something about the literal flood. Don't get into that, please. But at the flood, God said, I'm going to wipe this all out and start over again. And then he sent the rainbow to say, I promise I'll never do that again. And when Jesus came into a very, very broken place, he said, this project is worth saving, and instead of destroying it all and starting from scratch, I'm going to work with what's there. I'm going to work with what's there. And they will know little apocalypses, and they will know all this pain and everything else, but I will work through it. I will work through it. And so there we are. Wash your hands. Leave some toilet paper for the next guy. We'll pray our way through this. And in a time or two, in an episode or two, we'll talk about how our little apocalypse is over. Hacks humanity.